someone wrote in a big hate mail about how shitty I was for surfing. And when I first ran, I was so bummed because it was pretty hurtful, hurtful and offensive. But eventually I like kind of embraced it because there was some funny calls in it, like come back to Earth, space cadet. Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week we have Aussie Wright on the show. Aussie's currently starring in a new series that we're doing at the moment called S-U-R-F. It's something that we're making in partnership with Byron Bay Brewery where we took four surfers from Byron Bay, a little town on Australia's east coast, Solly Bailey, Jake Vincent, Ari Brown and Aussie and we gave them four challenges that they had to complete. And there's four episodes, one for each challenge. Current, first one is currently out. So I thought I'd give Aussie a call. And we ended up chatting about all kinds of shit. Not even that much about SURF or surfing in general. But before we go to that, let's chat to Brendan Buckley, Big Dick Power Surfer, Stabs Editor, and catch up on this week's surf news. My house is pretty echoey, so I set up this little sound zone in this one room and then there was this fly that flew into the room at the last minute and was buzzing around and I couldn't kill it or get rid of it. And then the program wasn't working. It was just a, a full-blown podcasting nightmare. Some of the, well, some of the most trying podcasting um, scenarios you could ever imagine. How are you? I'm good. Do you think it was climate change? <laughs> if there's a temperature that's not too far away that we can hit... That'll kill flies. I'm 100% um, going to start burning plastic as soon as this call's finished. Well, that's only the half of it. Let's start with a fun one. Let's start with Jordy Smith's triumphant return to surf competition. Yes. This was a, a very bizarre headline when I read it. I, I, was, I was pretty confused. Okay, so he's back. He's back in a, in a contest jersey, contest singlet, however you want to say it. At the South African Longboard National Championships to be held from August 24th, 29th. And what a fucking terrible consolation prize for a man who just <laughs> missed the Olympics and the lowers top five thing for the first time ever. Like, what a, what a, oh, it's painful. I know. It's so bizarre because he can clearly ride a longboard. Why didn't he pack one in, in a giant board bag and surf one in the Olympics? Just, just, because wouldn't that be, I don't know, wouldn't that be more interesting? I think so. I know the WSL has rules. I think the ISA would too. Like they have rules about what is like a longboard and shortboard. Like to, they have like to have, they, you know, they set these, this criteria for what you can ride in a certain format. And maybe he wouldn't have been allowed to, but he could have maybe snuck a mid length. Mm. So what do you make of this Jordy's return to competition uh, in a longboard comp? For me, it's just the saddest consolation prize of all time. Like imagine <laughs> it's like, it's awful. It's brutal. It's, you know, imagine tell, like telling a kid you're about to go to an amusement park and then you just go to the dentist or something. It's like <laughs> just... <laughs> What do you think? When Julian Wilson was really young, he was a really talented longboarder, grew up in Noosa where there's all these longboard waves and he was super talented and he was obviously also super talented on a shortboard. And I remember this conversation that was happening around the time where people were like, oh, he has to choose between longboarding and shortboarding for his career and his sponsors want him to really focus on one. And I was like, like let's just pick 
financial considerations as one. Like, isn't that a pretty easy choice to make? I don't think he was sitting around just, you know, heartbroken about having to prioritize on one, even if that is a thing. I mean, you can really do both. They're not, they're not too, uh, that one doesn't rule the other one out. Yeah. I mean, that's not, it's not much of a choice, is it? But what if the mid length was a thing then though? Would he have just like been like, okay, well, I only have one option then. Oh yeah. 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 The, the, the diluted middle ground. Yeah. I like it. I don't know. I, I like it, but then at the same time, we would have both hated it if that <laughs> if Julian Wilson's career was midline thing. Is that a thing, midline? Because you could say you could say longboarding, and you could say shortboarding. I guess like I wouldn't, but can you say midline thing? Yeah, I think you can. I think that you might be the first to do it, but I don't see any any reason why not. Huh? Midline thing. Oh. <laughs> he's a midlanker, oh. he's, and he's going midline thing. <laughs> All right, a less fun one. We had over the weekend a very hectic day at Margaret River. A guy named Frank Hater in his 60s unfortunately died at Mainbrick. And that same day, within a matter of hours, somebody got really hurt in the box. A guy in his 30s, I guess, uh, who had to get airlifted out with leg and spinal injuries. Yeah, it's just crazy that it happened so close, like just literally across the channel from each other. Just one of those freak things, you know? Mm. And it's a small community too. There's not that many people that live there and the surfers are all really close and they know each other. So it's a really brutal blow to the community to have any loss like that. But to have like a major injury and a, and a, and a, and a death right there happening at once, it's definitely got a feel for that surf community. Yeah, I'd imagine, I don't know, I'm not too well-versed on the COVID laws right now there, but I'd imagine that it's not like as touristy as it's usually No, exactly. There, so. Yeah, it's hard, to yeah. Get in, it's hard to get into that state. Yeah, well, damn. Rest in peace, Frank. That's a bummer. But anything I read about him was he, lifelong surfer and kind of that cliche thing of like he died doing what he loved, but there is something to that, I think. Like, I'd probably rather die surfing than, like, die, I don't know, driving a, my stupid fucking car. Yeah. It's a 2005 man. and breaks down all the time. <laughs> a car accident death is, uh, it makes me want to start wearing, like, a bicycle helmet while I'm driving my. Why not a gas? Oh, that's only the half of it. There was a little bit of a fiasco in Mexico lately, and. We currently have this story on Stab Premium, so not going to give too much away. But yeah, some kids got, you know, may have had their car stolen down there in pursuit of waves. And all I can think about is that just that tourism department that must work for the Mexican government and just like when will they catch a break? They have uh, Electric Acid starring Mason and Coco. They have the world tour event down there and the, the waves are pumping for, for both, super entertaining. And then, of course, things like this happen and they just get so much more information. You know, there's always just these horrendous stories coming out of Mexico, which I'm sure doesn't help uh, motivate tourists from, from the country up north. No, no, it doesn't. But if it is any, if there's any redemption in it, we have been working behind the scenes on a deal uh, the headline, I think, reads that these kids were 
you know, they had everything basically something happened where they had their whole car stolen and everything that was in it went and maybe they weren't wearing shoes while they were driving through the Mexican desert. So they're kind of left stranded out there without sandals was called out in the headline. And behind the scenes, we have been working on getting these kids using our connections to get them some sandals. And so if you want a happy ending, stay tuned. But to get the happy ending, you probably should go read the story on premium first because it's a pretty wild ride. I don't think it's something that like should paint a picture of Mexico for people. You know, I think that there's 99.9% of the time that people go down there to surf, you're going to be fine. Nothing bad is going to happen, but bad stuff can happen no matter what you're doing. And they had a hard time, but they're alive and they're going to get free sandals. So it's uh, not so bad, right? Yeah, it all ends well yeah. if it ends well. I, I remember I was, I, I did a trip through, the, I, we, I drove the entire Pacific coastline uh, at a time when the cartel stuff was really heavy, and and wow. being in in California in the uh, you know in, in the weeks leading up and mentioning to, mentioning it to people, it was just like it was it was horrifying. We were so petrified because you just hear the most hectic stories, and then sure enough, you you're there for half an hour and you're like, oh, this is like totally sweet. And not to say that there is isn't scary places or you can be and, and bad things can't happen, but it, yeah, it's such a different story when you're there. You're just so comfortable, and that everything seems completely fine. And you realize that the small, the the, the stories that do get told, the the scary ones are, you know, they're the ones that spread and catch fire because they're so horrifying. But for the most most people's experience is is just the best time ever down there. That's interesting. Like when when was that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, it would have been 2005, maybe. It was funny. I, I did meet this guy that lived down there and he lived there for 20 years. He didn't have a lot of money, but because he was white, he he knew that his kids were a potential target for kidnapping. So he had his kids microchipped so that if they had were kidnapped, that he could locate them instantly via GPS technology, which I thought was was pretty interesting. I did not know that you could actually do that. I guess I, I knew you could do that to dog. Actually, my dog has a microchip that if he ever went rambling off, like go find him. I, it's wow, which is just convenient technology, really. Even if you're not doing it for the potential kidnapping, like it's like losing your phone, losing your kid. You just know where they are all the time. You just put on put on the app on your phone. It's I like it. I back it. Well, microchipping a human actually serves as the perfect segue into the next story that we should probably talk about, <laughs> which I think based off your chuckle, you know where we're going. <laughs> this week, a story broke that professional surfer and former professional surfer and Ruka co-founder Conan Hayes was heavily involved, was slash is heavily involved in the Stop the Steal thing, which is a movement that is trying to prove that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. And it's this is fascinating because there's, you know, it's one thing to like post something on social media that shows that you subscribe to those beliefs or something like that. But this wasn't the case for him. Like he was heavily involved. He had a Twitter account that was really heavily followed and referenced in that community. And it sounds like he even went to Michigan and Arizona to go investigate potential voter fraud things. Not that 
founding Ruka or being a professional surfer really gives you much expertise in those domains. <laughs> and it's fascinating. I, I think it's, and when you first read it, it, it's almost like a thing where you think like, oh, okay, yeah, this person may have just shared a meme, but like, no, this really wasn't the case with him. Like he was deep in it and it's gained a lot of attention outside of our world. And it's fairly fascinating, the whole thing. Conan Hayes, a guy I love. I love his loose, loose change part, even though it's only half a song. He sort of shared a section and then I, I really liked his surfing. He's goofy footed, which gives him extra points. And then I thought... Ruka was a super original and, and creative brand when it first launched. So I've always been like a big fan of this guy and then without knowing much about him, which means I, I kind of have to support him through this. You know, I can't just turn my back on him now, now that he's down this rabbit hole. So I'm, I'm going with him. So we, we gotta, I think that probably just comes down to a goofy foot thing for me. I think that's more. Yeah, I'm not walking away from Conan on this one. I guess you can't. And I guess tried to place where this started like i don't know the q q is a weird letter I, i'm trying to do the math here trying to do my own research <laughs> trying to stay woke trying to get microchipped i don't know what the fuck i'm doing but uh yeah fascinating it's just fascinating that a somebody of his kind of stature in our world got so became such a big figure in that that thing it's just so unlikely that how how can you not be interested, I guess? Yeah, it's it's super bizarre. But like I said, I'm no fair weather fan, so I'm I'm right there with him. Uh just God bless you, buddy. You you stop that steal. Oh, that's only the half of it. After we spoke last time, Chopu had one of the best days it's had in years. And I just wanted to hype a little gallery that we have coming on the site on Friday for Whenever people listen to this, I don't know. But on Friday, it will be dropping on Sad Premium with some of Morgan Masson's photos. And I'm really excited to share them because that was a crazy day. It's something people should be talking about and looking at. And we've got some good stuff for it. So know that Chopu went off its fucking head last Friday and go find some photos and stories about it on Sad Premium. All right, looking forward to that. I've seen a little glimpse of some of the visions so far and it's ridiculous some of the so – how just, man, people are calling it the biggest ever and it's hard to argue against that when you see some of those sets. It's crazy, yeah. One thing that's interesting is, you know, this happened almost a week ago and I've talked to a few people about it that were there and it wasn't as busy as like a normal Chopu Swell would have been with – how the world is still difficult to move in right now. But one thing I noticed is like this theme of some of the world's best surf photographers filming more and more. Like, I guess it's not something entirely new, but the, I, the idea that like surf photography is becoming less and less incentivized or just something that you'd want to pursue. It's this, I I've never seen, in my work life, I've never seen such an example of that. Like never seen something like, okay, here's a historic day. And then most photographers I talked to were like, oh yeah, I was shooting film mostly. Or shooting, filming, not shooting on a fucking shooting <laughs> camera that, yeah. Shooting motion, not putting it on a weird little slide that somebody has to go into a dark room and develop. 
Yeah. In, in my experience working with photographers and filmers that, that jump over, the, the skill set is so easily transferable. And most of, most of my, the good people, the talented people I know that are videographers can shoot amazing stills and then vice versa. So I don't know. It's like, I just think the, the, I mean, video files are almost so good now that you can get pretty decent screenshots, especially if they're just going to go on a tiny screen like social media. And then, you know, you get so much more information with a video that's just so much more engaging and more valuable. So it's a, it's a pretty logical jump, but, um, yeah, it's it's odd to think that people just shooting stills will become rarer and rarer. True, but I do think that I mean photography, no matter what cameras are doing, like there's still a need for photography in the world. And I think it is just different mindset to capture one image rather than okay, yeah, I'll pull the most exciting frame. And it does obviously it's been since print is just not really a thing anymore. It, it does seem like something that's been so on the out and out and surfing, but I've just never had that experience of like having almost a hard time finding stills for something. It's interesting. It's upon it's upon us. It's here. Oh, that's only the half of it. One more thing on set premium that we should talk about, just another little plug, is that we just published a short film. Uh, surfed in and edited by Dane Reynolds, mostly edited by Hunter Martinez, helped him out too, but Stab Fried. It was meant to be a microdose, but his take on the boards was that it wasn't quite a microdose and that it kind of fried him. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things I've watched in a while. Yeah, it's Not good. Not to gush, but it's it made me laugh. It made me happy. It impressed me. It was just everything you'd want a short film to do. And so go watch that because it will make you happy. It'll bring joy to your life. It'll make you a better person to, <laughs> you know, everybody around you will benefit from that. You'll probably go to heaven if you believe in that and watch it. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that Dane was so uh, impactful with his surfing, but then in the second half of his career has been equally as impactful with his filmmaking. I mean, I guess that filmmaking was there throughout because even the first chapter had his heavy influence and then marine layer you know like he, he changed he changed the way people produced and consumed media as well as, as as the style but like he's such a talented filmmaker and he's so entertaining and when you couple that with his with his own surfing it's it's uh it's just unfair really i mean why does why does he have so much talent it's so much it's over the top and even when you watch him ride these alternative boards I almost feel like if you're if you're someone who's struggled to really feel inspired to step off of a more traditional board, I feel like Dane Reynolds is you need to watch it because it's like what we wish we could all be, which is ridiculously talented, but just still kind of you have your opinion, your ways and it's not like, you know, Mason and Coco the East with them was so good because they, they are more open-minded and they are, they were able to be more curious about boards and get excited about them. But Dane still does have that layer that I think that like is exactly how I would feel, but I'm not nearly as talented as him. And I think there's a lot of people in that, that way that are just like, yeah, I don't know. This isn't for me. And he's honest about that. It's raw and it's, he gets some of the boards going, but 
when he doesn't, he's just quite raw and honest about it in a way that's really refreshing to see, especially, yeah, I think it's that perfect, like what we would all, what many people would probably think that they would do on an alternative board. Dane just kind of realizes it. It's, it's funny and it's great to watch. Oh, that's only the half of it. All right, Buck, we will always finish on the surf scene. But before we get to that, we've got some listener mail, a guy named Ed from Santa Monica. And he actually, he actually spelled Santa Monica phonetically for me, just in case I didn't know how to pronounce it, but I did. Very nice. Ed. Yeah, it was still, it was still nice. He wrote, hello, Danny Johnson. I'm watching the WSL post show for the Mexico event. When discussing the final five for men, Chris Cote was leading the panel and the whole discussion was focused on Italo and Gabby as favorites. And then the chances for Morgan and Connor as underdogs. I kept waiting for a big discussion about the hometown surfer, Felipe Chalit, not really a hometown surfer, but the hometown surfer, Felipe Toledo. There was not a word mentioned about him. I figure the whole thing was meticulously prepared in advance. I wonder if there is a Felipe conspiracy. Did he write Felipe spiracy of some sort brewing? I'm asking in part because he is my personal favorite for the win, given his motivation to get a title and the fact that he lives and surfs there so much. Love the show. Ed from Santa Monica. As my mother calls it, home of the wazzle. You deserve a donut. So... What do you make about that? What do you make of Chris Cote not mentioning Felipe? And what would be the motivation for some sort of conspiracy theory based on that um, strategy? Well, to start, I'd like to congratulate Ed on being the first person in the history of the world to watch the WSL post show. (laughs) Um, I'm sure they're very happy to hear that. And now they know now they're, they're probably just going to start targeting with like really direct advertisement because they know that they've found their one guy who watches it, but, uh, could be the Conan Hayes in me, but any, any surf related conspiracy theory, I just love, like, I love the unproven, just completely irrational idea that the things are somehow not favoring goofy foots. I love things that don't make sense, but you can just carry on for a while and pretend they exist. And so I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to say that the WSL has a full agenda against Felipe in his hometown of Sao Clemente. And I'm going to look into it because it's interesting. What do you think? Um, I think he's sitting, I mean, the rational, I mean, the Conan side, the Conan Hayes fan side of me agrees with you, but I think the more rational part of me just thinks he's sitting in that middle ground of not that exciting to talk about for this event. I mean, Italo and Gabby are obvious ones to talk about because they're so proven. And then the obvious underdogs are Morgan and Connor just because they're, they don't have, they don't have as much mileage, haven't got as much flying time uh, in those, in those pressure situations. And they don't have that aerial game on the level that Italo and Gabby do. Uh, to get them out of situations. But if the surf's decent, I think they, they, uh, they'll have a really, really good chance. But then, so then you've just got Felipe who can get it done, but like probably won't given his inability to prove himself in pressure situations. So, Well, that's what they want you to believe is what <laughs> me and Ed think. You're, just, you're getting paid off by somebody, Danny. Uh, no. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think – I just think – Felipe needs to find a way to get some excitement about him. He's not really a hometown hero, so I don't think that can be his angle. He's ultimately Brazilian who's been the four millionth person to 
paddle out of trestles. He's not exactly about to call himself a local there. So he's not going to get hometown favorism or any kind of like, that's not his angle, but how can he make this exciting? How can, how can people get, start to get behind this medium level underdog? Like what can you talk about? One thing that's really interesting to me is that like, obviously it's a new format. So it's the first year that we're experiencing it, but how hard it would be to get from that fifth seed to a world title is absurd. Let's look at the female rankings. Like if you were John DeFay, you'd have to beat Steph Gilmore, one, Sally Fitzgibbons, two, top Deanna Weston Webb, three, and then you're in the final for the first time against Carissa. You got to beat her twice. So it's five heats that you'd have to win. Potentially you'd have to serve six heats. And so like, it's absurd. And I, I know like, even making the tour should be celebrated. It's a huge accomplishment, but like, so making the top five should be as well. But the amount of work that these people would have to do to actually realistically win. Like I, I wonder how odds makers will even play that. It's so unique and it's so new to us that we don't have anything to go off of, of how like, like statistically what would be somebody's percentage to get from that fifth spot to number one to me it's it's super low right yeah and- i mean uh, uh, one thing and this is this is different because this is less dependent on fitness but um uh, tom curran didn't hold a spot on tour for his last world title and he served through the trials of every event to then go on and win enough events to win the world title which i mean that probably speaks to his talent more than his fitness but I still think it's it's almost the only comparable thing that's ever been done in surfing to this surf format in terms of just the difficulty of it. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, for Felipe, he'd have to beat Italo and then he'd have to beat Gabriel twice. So it's not too much of a – it's doable. It's more doable than having to get on such a heater where you climb all the way through the top. But – I don't know. Maybe he should take some of Tom Curran's psychedelics and see if he can find that groove. <laughs> Put on some of them weird fins that he uses that look yeah, like flamethrowers. I, I mean, and that's not totally true what I said about Tom. He did get some wild cards into events in that year, but it, the ones he didn't get wild cards, he did have to surf through the trials. But yeah, fuck, I don't know. I mean, is it a conspiracy theory? I mean, obviously, yes. I don't know why. I'm saying yes just because I love any surf related one that doesn't really check out that's i'm just in and i welcome those hit danny or i up email us dm us whatever you can do give us more give us more reader mail whether they are conspiracial conspiracial i don't know that's word (laughs) (laughs) to finish off buck we've got a pretty interesting surf scene this week can you can you talk me through this week's entry Oh, this one, this one hit me way too close. This one came in from Jake and it made me think for a while. It's something that I, and I would imagine a lot of us do regularly. And he hints at this in the message too. Let's just play it. And then I still need time to try to really see how I feel because I'm, I'm so fucking guilty. But <laughs> let's give it a play. Oh! Okay, so this isn't like just one scene. This is like a general thing that happens occasionally. 
you know when you find yourself um, surfing in a lineup and you just happen to be the best person out there and then you just dominate and catch every single good wave that comes through and you just don't give a fuck about anyone else and no one can really do anything about it because they're not good enough to challenge your wave catching abilities um, and in your head you justify to yourself that oh if I was surfing with people who were better than me then they'd catch every single wave and they wouldn't you know care to share but you know you don't really feel that good when you paddled past the, the same like personal group of person, people um, multiple times and you're, you're, you're cleaning up every single every single set wave um, and then like you know half an hour or so has gone past and you've caught heaps of waves and they haven't even caught one and you just keep doing it like you know I've done this a few times and we probably all have uh, yeah This one, this one seemed to hit you a bit harder than it hit me as much as I have been guilty uh, of that scenario a couple of times. It's kind of rare for me though because um, I'm not the talented surfer that you are. So uh, when it does happen, uh, I'm pretty gluttonous. I'm like a Augustus Gloop at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And I, I've definitely uh, indulged. Talk me through your history with it. Oh, I'm haunted. The the best way I can put it is I've lived in France for five years. Um, by no means, but I consider myself a local. For those five years, I've lived near one wave, and I've gotten to know the wave pretty well. But there was one day where I this was kind of happening, and I wasn't trying to be mean or anything, but I did just, I was kind of waiting out further. People were all sitting in one spot. I was waiting in a different spot and I was getting a bunch of waves. And at one point, somebody was sitting out there with me and they're in position and they're just paddling into a wave. And I just, you know, I didn't do anything. I just, they went on the wave and the guy thanked me after. <laughs> and I felt it, that was the most like, that was almost the most jarring thing for me was to be thanked for a wave that was just in no way, shape or form mine. But somehow I guess I was just doing that so much that the guy felt like he needed to thank me for a wave that he had just been waiting for was in the spot on and all that. And I, fuck, I'm just, I'm really guilty of this. And so my, my penance <laughs> is going to be, you can't be okay, Jake, you can't be, rational here you can't use logic you need to go sheerly off emotion and whenever you feel guilty just give one person a wave and tell yourself that's the whole everything is resolved just give one person be on the inside and just go Woo, yeah you go and then feel okay about yourself for like the next until the guilt trickles back in and because that's what i do and i'm still going maybe one day i'm just gonna hit brick wall with this and realize how much of a dickhead i am but my penance to you, because it's my penance to myself, is to just give one person a wave for no reason at all when you feel a little bit guilty and then just wipe your hands clean and say like, yep, I'm, uh, I'm 
like the nicest person in the world. Absolved, completely back to square one like, neutral. My hands are clean. Yes, that's that's really good. I like that. And you actually gave me a really good punishment just then. Uh, but because the way I see it and my experience with it is is just simply that catching a lot of waves is so fun and feels so good. It actually pretty easily outweighs the guilt and the bad feelings that you have from from being inconsiderate in the surf and, and too gluttonous. And so it's I don't I don't know. Maybe if it happened a lot, maybe if it was happening frequently for me, it would be something that would be a huge deal. But I just don't think it's the I don't think it's the, the biggest crime. I think we're only human. Given how fun catching a lot of waves are, and the few few times you get to do it is, so I don't know. To me, it doesn't deserve a huge amount of punishment. But so my, are you good with mine? Just like one one wave, just when you're feeling guilty. Well, I think the, the the punishment should just be mild, and it should simply be. And I, you just made me think of this: is that for one session, he has to hoot every single person that takes off on a wave. It doesn't matter where in the surf that person is. They might be 200 meters down the beach on a peak. If he sees them take off, he's got to hoot. Every single time someone catches up on a wave, he, he's got to hoot them. And I think that's a, that's a simple but fair punishment. I get that, but we also have to be aware of the fact that like you can kind of use that as like, like you could definitely be the person who hoots everybody in but then you're also kind of catching every wave too. And you kind of disguise that there's disguising factors, but <laughs> do that. Jake, hoot everybody in, you know, give one person a wave when you feel guilty and you will be, you'll be absorbed and you'll be okay. It's a pretty interesting scenario though, because there's so many different levels to it and people's surfing ability normally correlates with their ability to read the ocean and navigate a crowd and catch waves. So if he's surfing with people and he says way better than them and they don't even know the good spot to be in and they're kind of missing waves and he's just naturally taking off a lot deeper. And I feel like that's less of a crime than if people are out there and, and, the, and the, the skill level isn't that variant, but he just, they're maybe more timid and he's just kind of dominating that way. That I think is a harsher, is a, is a, is harsher behavior that probably should require so it really depends on the, on the on the severity i don't know yeah yeah i guess it is a little bit like that but to me it's just it's something that like you just know that you're doing but you just can't stop it's hard <laughs> like jake and i are kindred spirits so i think it's just a few hoots one wave given away again don't use la don't use logic don't use ration just 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 do it one time and tell yourself that you're a great person kind of like like a rich just like horrible person does a bunch of bad shit just like giving like a grand to charity every now and then uh then we're good and this is just the lies that we tell ourselves and would they make us happy and we continue on and still get a million ways thanks Mark. and if you have a surf sin some sort of evil moment in the surf that you've committed please send those through to either myself or buck or both our emails are in the episode description and we also put a link into the stories that we chatted about here and also a link to sign up for stab premium if you haven't yet i don't know what you're doing with your life you're missing out on all kinds of premium editorial all the stabs films the back catalog of films it's yeah, you're basically blowing it Either way, those links are there in the episode description of this podcast. So I put them there every time. I don't know if a single person has ever clicked on one, but I will never stop putting them there. Let's chat to Aussie Wright. 
Ozzy's someone I've known for a long time and I was so stoked to work with him on this latest project, SURF. And he's just, he's the original original. That was what Andy Irons said about Ozzy when, when he was asked. And I think that's a good way to sum him up. He's, he's one of the most inspiring and creative humans you could pretty much ever imagine. And I mean, I think one of the, one of the best ways to sum up his impact in surfing is just that he's an entire generation's favorite surfer or a certain, at least a certain type of surfer. All the young Australian free surfers are all uh, basically call Aussie their favorite surfer. And I think, I think the reasons why are pretty obvious. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, how's that sounding? That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling it. Um, how's things, mate? Things are fucking good, man. I've working been working hard. Yeah, I've been super. I I've been kind of flogging myself work-wise, and then I buckled my back from just too much time in front of the computer with shitty posture. Which That's is so heavy, eh? You can hurt yourself by just working on your computer. Oh man, that's so many people. You like they get back injuries, and you're like, "What? It's from actually from doing nothing." Yeah, it's how I fuck myself up the most. Man, if I ever get locked up and I can't surf, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably just lose it. <laughs> yeah, like I'll freak out. As long as I can have my little gravel sesh, I'm fine. I don't care what happens, but without that, I'll lose it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess like it's 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 like being injured but worse because you you know that you can surf if it wasn't for this weird rule. Yeah. Um, well, hey, I want to let, let's chat about first question I got for you is um, what should we start talking about? Oh, I guess like the lobotomy. Is that that was the name of the Vulcan film, wasn't it? Lobotomy. Yeah. The, the two things that stood out to me about Volcom's latest film, Lobotomy, where Noah's switch surfing and then your your objects in the tube or your tube art or your moving tube installations. What do you, what do you call that? <laughs> um, I don't have a name for that. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> chat about Noah's uh, surfing first. Because like, you've always been at the forefront of innovation, let's, let's say, right. sliding down right. rails and jumping yeah. off rocks and sliding across rocks and... All types of grabs and airs and stuff, even um, way back when airs weren't even that fashionable. What did you make of um, of Noah's switch surfing? Do you reckon switch is novelty or do you think it's going to be part of surfing's future? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was awesome. I love that's. I love how Noah's so ambidextrous. Like he's because he's a real good skateboarder and he's goofy. So. Oh, that's right. He rides. He rides a skatey goofy, huh? Yeah, so it makes sense that you should be pretty good in surf. But a lot of people do that. They, you know, they'll skate natural or surf the other way or whatever. Mm. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, super ambidextrous. And um, I feel like people that can do all that stuff are usually pretty creative. And switch surfing, I mean, it's always been impressive. The law doing it pipe back in the day, and it's so it's just awesome and it's fun to do. Just you know challenge yourself yeah it's never really made it in the same way it has in skateboarding into like a legitimate and consistent thing that people 
do that. Do you reckon it's on? It's, it'll ever be like you'll see, you'll watch someone surf part, and they'll be you know twenty percent of their waves will be switch. Oh, um, I don't know. Maybe some people like Raf's real good at it. Um, Crookies, bro, is he? He's amazing. Have you ever seen him surf like point? Natural? Nah, I've never seen him surf point. Well, he he's he does it with like really good style. So his his style's pretty much just as good natural footer as it is goofy. No and way. And he fully he rips at it. Huh. So when it gets like that, you know, it's pretty sick. Yeah, I guess like a lot of the time it just looks clunky and weird. But if if people can pull it off, yeah. And... But if you can do it with a good style, um, who else is really good? Jared Mel. He's he's a good switch footer. Is he? Well, just because he's. I um, mean, he does it like on a perfect wave on his big long board and his bodies and he'll just switch foot and look and like, you know, just be in this big tubes. Like, yeah, he makes it look really cool. Yeah, I just figure that tubes at a certain point for any really talented surfer are pretty easy and to start mixing up and and getting a, a bunch of switch tubes just to add a little bit of difficulties kind of makes sense. Like what was that guy who used to do it at Snapper when Kira, China? Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty, he's... Um, he was good. I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird that no one has continued on. I don't know. When I saw Noah do it, and then he also does this, like, he also does an alley-oop and another little snap switch. I just feel I like... I mean, Timmy Curran used to do some pretty good switch barrels. He'd take off on lefts and pick dog. Yeah, he would actually, yeah. Um, it's been, there's always been a few people doing some good switch stuff. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, Noah's it... chop-up switch was awesome. I loved that. That was so sick. Yeah. And his barrel to a little air, that was really sick. What about you, these... This uh, <laughs> the tube, the things in the tube, bananas in the tube, Barbie in the tube. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Can you? What, when, mean, did, when did you first start? I think the first time I, I think I ever saw of you doing fucking around with that stuff was I think you had Barbie at Ulu's. Yeah, yeah, that's my best session. I've only done it a couple of times, but I took Barbie out racetrack and got some pretty, some pretty real, like pretty wicked barrels with her. <laughs> And it was really fun, and I was stoked. <laughs> how, how did the idea come though? Like when? Oh, I don't know. Um, we had the Barbie doll. Somehow we were on a trip, and I think Jim with Jimmy and Karina, and Karina had a Barbie. And then I just went, I'm going to get Barbie barrels, <laughs> <laughs> just for fun. And then the banana, I was just surfing, and you know, Banana Man, he's a banana farmer up here. No. Nah. Oh, we were all serving for ages at Tallows and there's one of the main, one legendary local at Tallows, Banana Man. Um, when it disappeared for a while, then he paddled back out and he had bananas for a bunch of us that had been out there for ages. Oh, no way. And he just threw us a banana and then I just got a barrel with it. <laughs> all right. I thought it was, I swear. It wasn't you, planned. You've, there's been heaps of other ones you fucked around with over the uh, Oh, then, uh, yeah, then when I used to like just live down the coast the other year if it was flat and there was little barrels I'd just take a toy out there here and there just for fun yeah put it in the tube just like you know like just a photography project yeah I remember when you were living down there and you were you were basically posted up on a big long sharky beach break with no one around and surfing by yourself uh, oh yeah oh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's just good motivation if you're surfing alone. I feel like to have, so you, I'm almost with the GoPro, I'm sort of doing photography, like not just going for a surf, I'm also doing a bit of photography. I don't know, it's like two things at once. It's like you're making art and it's just fun. It keeps, it 
it's an extra mo- motivation motivator. Was there anyone that was uh, like tripped out by it? Um, I'm not sure. I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, don't know. <laughs> I guess you're not. I guess you're not. Re- I guess you're not really going to cop it if there's people like, what the fuck is that? Well, but now that we're locked out, it's not like they have any premieres, and I don't know. I don't. Re- I don't read anything on the internet anymore. So. It's- I don't know if I get hate mail these days. I had to quit reading that shit. Oh, did you really? Is that something you... But I mean, some people, um, you know, some people like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I reckon... I, I, people I, I get sp- a kick out of it. I don't know. Yeah. I, there's, so, there's so many people that, that... That's the only one that I spoke to could speak about after that film was was Noah Switch Surfing and and your, um, your oh, abstract tubes. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I've got... I've got more plans coming up. Oh, dear. Have to stay tuned. My movie's going to be sick. You, if, I ever make, if I ever make it. Oh, so are you, are you in the process of making a movie? Yeah, but I've been making it for about 20 years. So it never comes out. <laughs> so w- when did you brush reading internet comments? Um, years ago. Because wasn't there – what about like pre-internet? And Because I remember there was a, a reader of tracks that sent in a big long letter about you and how you were a bad influence and, and all this kind of thing. Like, and, and you loved that at the time. I guess it's a little bit different when – No, oh, I, I hated it first. I was off it. I was, I was rattled by it. Oh, really? Can you, can you tell that story that mentioned some of the things that the letter said? I was a grommet and started getting a little bit of attention for my surfing or whatever and Someone wrote in a big hate mail about how shitty I was for surfing into tracks. <laughs> and when I first read it, I was so bummed because it was pretty hurtful, hurtful and offensive. I was only young. I was rattled. But eventually I like kind of embraced it because there was some funny calls in it, like come back to Earth, Space Cadet, and um, <laughs> your parents must hate it when they see you in those junky outfits and shit like that. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it was pretty funny. And then, and then at one of your movie premieres, didn't you print it out and stick it on the wall or something? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. I printed it out huge, so you'd come to see the movie, and there was this giant at Kinkos. You could you see a black and white photocopy things, massive for like five dollars. So I was like ten feet, I don't know, twelve foot high. This giant hate mail about oh, myself. It was, it was it was good marketing looking back on it. Yeah, that is good. Let's talk about SURF. So right now uh, at the time we're recording, there's only been one ep ep aired, so let's not spoil anything. But yeah, the first episode, which was space, comp to see who can catch the longest wave, you you won. Uh, Did you you think you were going to win that one? Um, I thought I had a chance. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was one that anyone had a chance and I – I actually do surf the pass a lot on a softy with one fin, and so I know that you can really go a long way of doing that. Yeah, and I just thought, you know, it's anyone anyone could win that one, and I thought it was probably the only one I could win because um, it was kind of, you know, whoever. I think anyone could easily do it. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, did you come into it competitive? Well, yeah, when I found out it was prize money. <laughs> <laughs> Was, but then I, at the time, I had a really sore knee. When we were making this thing, everyone was getting along so well and, and uh, everyone was kind of just fucking about. But I was kind of expecting people to get a little bit more gnarly on the on the space challenge and like tip people off. And, yeah, and, but probably it, would have been good. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. What does it take to motivate people these days? 10 grand's not enough. 
I don't Maybe know. Maybe it was a hundred grand. I don't know. Did, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of expecting everyone to get real gnarly on that, but it didn't happen. But um, without giving anything away, let's talk through all the challenges. Which one did you? Which one got you the most excited? Probably the one on the old boards that we bought. Yep. That was just because that was pretty fun surf that day. And then the unfortunately the day where the, the boards we stuck together, that was a fun project. I enjoyed making them. Yeah, uh, the Uncover Challenge, which is the one where you guys had to buy a board for 100 bucks and a case of beer. And, and you, um, yeah, you found two boards. I, did that guy just give you a... 25 bucks. Yeah, he, he 25 bucks each, huh? So you spent... Or was that... No, 25 for two. Oh, no way. It was 25 for two, that's right. They were pretty junky. Have, have you got those actually? I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll drop them around <laughs> to you. Yeah. Sick. But yeah, that was epic. Your board's like, you've for whatever reason had like the taste to pick the oldest like fucktest boards you could find. Like everyone else is like trying to find something that was, I guess, the, the best looking board they could for a hundred bucks. But you, you just went straight for the... Uh, yeah, looking back, that was probably not very tactical. <laughs> probably could have got like a, probably could have got a way more high performance board. But no, but just because I found like, you know, such cool iconic brands i had to uh had to get the banksy and the dick van stralen that was sick yeah how did so you've known banksy for a while now huh yeah for not that long but i mean i first met him yeah probably a long time ago but i sort of hung with him in the last few years a bit and we did a trip together what's his what's his whole caper because I just know that he was this icon who was a tour surfer and then walked away in the peak of his competitive powers to just go and chase waves and be a hell man yeah. in Indo. He, What's he like yeah. these days? He's just the same. He's just epic. He's, he like makes the sickest guitars and amps and boards. So he's real clever, amazing craftsman. Wow. And he's just the funniest guy. Like he's just got such an open mind and he's just, you know, he's, is a tripper he's got theories on everything and he's just he still rips and he's just loving life he's heaps of fun real fun guy hell muso oh is he he's a sick guitarist he's happy hey are you copying like endless i heard you say the word, word theories and it just made me think of all the uh just nonsense you hear up this end of the world about this like conspiracy theory level shit about the world right now are you is your life is it is that just me or is your life full of that stuff um yeah yeah oh no yeah for sure but i mean i don't know i i, I believe most of it <laughs> <laughs> i mean what do you mean what do you believe heaps. i've always just thought there's no way that we are ever going to know what's really going on in all these things that happen like you know what i mean Oh, so, well, I don't really think the news just tells you 100% what's, what's actually happening. I think there's a, I don't know. I think there's more to it. But. Do, do you think that it's, <laughs> do you think it's the government doing I don't even think shit? our government knows what's going on. Oh, right. So you're like. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I actually have no idea what's <laughs> I mean, like when 9-11 happened, I was like, whoa, do you really think that, that oh, I don't know. Did some people, you know, I don't know. I just always feel like it's hard to know exactly, you know, who to believe. Just but what on, really happened. On what level though? Like, do you think that potentially that the American government blew up the towers so they could 
go to war or whatever the motivation was. Like, Maybe. You, really? You you don't think that it was the it was a terrorist attack from the Taliban? <laughs> I just don't know, mate. <laughs> I just don't really. I have no idea. I definitely don't just believe everything that I read in the paper, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. And I mean, the, I also don't. I just definitely don't believe every conspiracy theory either. <laughs> I just kind of just thinking oh, maybe. Fuck, it's hard. That's just so hard to know. Like, yeah. how do you? I can see two sides to all the stories. And I know. Do you reckon people walked on the moon in 1969? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. believe that pretty heavily. But only because that's I've crazy. I've heard a scientist br- uh, dispel all the because there's there's a long list of conspiracy theories and I've heard a scientist okay. break down and explain via you know pretty rigorous scientific with pretty wow. rigorous scientific language like why each of the things are inaccurate or why like, why so the, they definitely did it well I don't know about definitely but it's I'd bet every cent I had on it yeah wow that's crazy can't believe they could fly off it and get back yeah I mean it just seems inconceivable but what I just remember the best thing ever was this this um astronaut i can't remember which one it was damn it i wish i could remember but buzz. it was a buzz they someone, punched someone that, doubted it and he punched him in the yeah, head because he's probably heard so much conspiracy yeah, theory stuff around i love it. that and he just that like, made me believe that made me believe it the most <laughs> yeah that's the best evidence is buzz yeah. knock, knocking out some stranger yeah imagine it. it's pretty it's just so psycho yeah i guess i believe that <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy world right now, though, isn't it? Oh man, it's 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 fucking bizarre. And and I think just seeing how fragmented the world is on 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 a level of um all this stuff because there's just there's just people that are standing right next to each other that just complete believe two completely different things about the world. It's fucking bizarre. It's so weird. Uh, what do you what do you reckon happens when we die? Oh jeez. <laughs> um I kind of reckon our soul or our spirit might fly around and I don't know. I kind of believe in reincarnation, but I don't really know. <laughs> I used to just think it would just everything went black, but now I feel like it's more spiritual than that. <laughs> yeah, have you, have you gotten like have you gotten more spiritual over time? Yeah. Really? What? Any other avenues? Um, what do you mean? Like, well, like I'm pretty like I'm pretty black. I'm not black-hearted, but just like I don't know. I just I don't really. I feel like most spiritual things that people say are always just like nice, nice-sounding things that help us with the fear of death. I don't know if there's ever really that good of a reason to believe things like most of the things that people believe kind of just sound really nice they're nice like intuitions about the world that help us cope with the reality of life and inevitable death so i don't know if there's a good reason to believe them and i'm sort of i'm sort of like i I kind of i don't know if i'm blocked off to that stuff but i for whatever reason my brain just doesn't go there but i'm I'm super open to it because i don't want to be some closed off weirdo you know yeah i don't know i mean I don't really. I, I I think you probably die. Everything goes black, and then you come back as an animal, probably a bush turkey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. You know, I think I don't know. Actually, I've no idea. You don't. Do you, you but, don't think about that that stuff often? 
No, but I do just try and live a little bit more just spiritually these days. More like just like karma and just just believe in um, you know, doing the best that you can. Yeah, karma's a great principle. Improve, yeah, I believe in that. But then, you know, sometimes I remember saying to my mum, she's like, Oh, what about all the people that, you know, get born into slavery? What do they deserve that? And probably not. So Yeah. I don't know if karma and reincarnation always work out to be some like perfect maths, but um, I, I think just I feel like sometimes with karma though, if you just do something shit and then you feel shit about it, you, that's karma in its in in itself, you know. Yeah, you punish yourself. Yeah, you punish. Yeah, you punish yourself. Yeah, you punish yourself. Yeah, you punish yourself. Thanks, Oz, and thanks for listening. Don't forget to submit your surf sins to either my or Buck's email, which are in the episode description. And also don't forget to submit some conspiracy theories. I was feeling that conspiracy theory about Felipe from that guy whose name right now I can't remember. And I want to hear some more. I want to love to hear some of the ideas that people are cooking. I'd like to thank my fellow competitors for uh, pushing the level of long-distance surfing. Perfect set of the past. We all got it right out the back and took it all the way to the end. Like, it's as fun as it gets. It's, I love riding waves with my friends too, and uh, you know, sharing the waves. So good. Party waves are all. In your soul.